In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our reading for today that the sermon's based on is the epistle. You may be seated. In the gospel reading for today, we heard the account of Jesus calling some of his very first disciples. Peter was there. Uh, Andrew, for some reason, I cannot remember if he was mentioned specifically by name, but he is Peter's brother. He's his partner. And James and John are also there as well. This miraculous catch of fish is a prefiguring of how the apostolic ministry for these men will go. Just as they were fishermen by trade, casting their nets and hauling fish into the boat, so now Jesus says they were to become fishers of men, casting the net of the gospel into the world and hauling Christians into the ark, the boat of the Holy Christian Church. Luther picks up on this image in his flood prayer, which we hear every time we do a baptism. We heard it a few weeks ago. We'll hear it again next weekend. And in that prayer... We say this, grant that this child be kept safe and secure in the holy ark of the Christian church. Now, the main image there, of course, is Noah and the flood. But Jesus is clearly grabbing on to this image of the boat as safe haven for the apostolic ministry, a picture of it. By baptism. We are brought into the ark of the Christian church, just as those fish were brought into the boats of Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And so, in this new home of ours, the Holy Christian Church, which we've entered into by the waters of holy baptism, we have been made at peace with God. We don't need to be afraid of him. Even though we are sinful men and women, we know that he has forgiven us our sins. God dwells with us here in this place. This peace is continually renewed through the apostolic ministry of the absolution, of the Lord's real presence in his body and blood in the sacrament of the altar. This is the model of what our individual homes ought to look like, a sanctuary from the world and a refuge from the doubt and the chaos that is offered to us in our everyday lives. Like our homes, though, this is a place for families. We are joined together into a family in this place. So what kind of home is the Ark of the Christian Church. Well, St. Peter, that fisher of men, lays that out for us in our epistle reading for today. First, it is a home of brothers. Second, it is a home of guarded tongues. And third, it is a home for holy work and prayer. And with the Spirit's guidance, we will consider each of these aspects together. First, the church is a home for brothers. St. Peter says, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. This tells us, again, what the church is meant to be. It's united in mind and heart. And it's important to note here that mind comes first, before the heart. We live in a time where the truth is a pretty fluid thing. 
This started years and years ago. I I can't quite say when, because I'm not a philosopher. I don't really pay attention to that kind of stuff. But I remember when I was growing up, I remember hearing people say things like, that may be true for you, but it may not necessarily be true for me. You've all heard that, I'm sure, at some point in your life. That idea, though, ironically, sets forth a universal claim that is only that the only truth is that there is no truth. It's pretty ironic. If you took that to its logical extreme, two plus two might equal four sometimes, but sometimes it might not. You may remember a few years ago during the pandemic, we were told to trust the science. You remember that? But the science was changing from week to week, day to day, it seemed like for a long time. It was always saying something new to us. But that's not how it is to be in the church. We are told by St. Jude, one of the writers of the New Testament, to contend for the truth that was once for all delivered to the saints. St. Paul says to the Corinthian Christians that divisions in the church were necessary to show that some were genuine in their faith and some were just there to cause trouble. Satan tries to erode the unity of the church from the outside by attacking the overall concept of truth, but he also works within the church in order to undermine our unity in doctrinal matters. And so this takes this kind of form. We say that what we believe in particular is important, yes. There's nothing that we, don't, that we believe that's not important. But everything sort of files under, do we believe that Jesus is really crucified and raised for our sins and for our justification? If we believe that, then everything else sort of becomes secondary. But... If we minimize what the scriptures say on any number of points, we end up unraveling the tapestry of the Holy Scriptures. The scriptures are clear. St. Paul writes again to the Corinthians, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no division among you, but that you be united in the same mind And the same judgment. The diversity of doctrine in the the Corinthian church was not good. And it resulted in much fighting among the saints there. Here, Peter connects the fact with that real unity where Christianity actually can sympathize with one another. Comes from, it flows from, our common understanding of what the word of God says. When we downplay the truth of the scriptures, when we do that in order to make some sort of compromise, either among ourselves or among other Christians, we're ultimately building upon a cracked foundation. I know I'm constantly ragging on you guys to read your Bibles more and more. But being in the word of God is the only real remedy for the divisions that come up in an organization that's made up of sinners. But more than that, we need to be people in the word together. 
That's why being here in this place is so important. That's why we are a body of believers. The most dominant picture of the church in the New Testament is that we are a body of Christians. When we believe the same way, this naturally brings about a love and a care for each other. What we believe about God has a bearing on how we view one another and how we will treat each other as Christians. St. John writes in his, one of his epistles, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that God loved us and sent his Son to be the payment for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another, he says. God's love is the foundation, and it is the source of our love for each other. So now, I'd like to issue you another challenge. I often challenge you, again, to read the Bible, but here in this place, we offer two Bible studies a week, usually during the year. I encourage you to pick just one of those and come and read the Word of God, study it, pray about it with one another. Whether it's on Sunday mornings before church during the school year or Wednesday evenings, whatever works best for you, I encourage you to come and read and study God's holy word together that we might grow in our understanding of it together, but also that we might grow in our love for one another. That leads us nicely into the second quality that the household of God is to demonstrate, and that is... It is to be a house of guarded tongues. Just as God's word is of love is a foundation and source for our love for one another, that love takes a particular shape. The world will tell you that love is love and doesn't really want to define that much beyond that. But Peter actually tells us what love looks like. He says, Do not repay evil for evil, or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you are called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Dear saints, Peter here in the word of God has something to say about how we speak to one another. So much damage can be done, done by the tongue. James writes, How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and setting on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being, he says, can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. It is all too common, even for Christian people, to speak poorly of one another. It's done as if it's no big deal. It's just like by saying things like, well, I'm not, I'm not saying anything that's not true, or the person never heard me say these words, so it doesn't really hurt them or affect them. Social media, and even the news media today, is 
built around speaking poorly of others. That is the central enterprise of all of it. One of the reasons I got off of social media a few years ago was so that I didn't have to see Christians saying awful things about others online. It's especially bad in theological forums. It even puts small-town gossip to shame. We act as if God didn't dedicate an entire commandment aimed at our speech and how we are to protect the reputation of others. Cursing and blessing, dear saints, ought not to come from the same mouth. People loved by God, that is why your tongue was created, not to curse, but to bless. Peter even quotes the Psalms here, holding out the promise of long life, of good days for those who keep their tongues from speaking evil. God promises to pour out his blessings upon us richly and daily that we might turn around and bless those around us with his word. He has created our tongues in order to bless one another. Which again leads to our last point. The Ark of the Holy Christian Church, our home together, is a home for prayer and a home for holy work. Perhaps one of the most neglected areas of our theology is the fact that we, as human beings, have been created for work. God placed Adam in the Garden of Eden that he might work it and keep it. The fact that work is hard and unpleasant is because it too was cursed by the fall. Thorns and thistles it shall produce for you, God said. We've already spoken of some of the holy work to which we are called, like learning God's word together by blessing others. We've hinted a little bit at prayer. But all of this holy work flows from the same source, what St. Peter calls honoring Christ in our hearts as holy. Now, what does holy mean? That's sort of a Christian buzzword. Well, holy, in one sense, means that things are set aside for a specific purpose. So the things in the temple in the Old Testament, those are holy. They're set apart for the services of God, and they're not to be used for any other purpose. The font for holy baptism is to only be used for holy baptism. It is not to be used as a, a bird bath during the week or anything other than bestowing the baptismal blessings that our Lord comes to give. But there's another meaning for the word holy that I think we ought to consider. We are commanded, for instance, to remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Jesus also teaches us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, hallowed or make holy your name. Meaning that we should honor God's name as holy in our lives. When we get to this in catechism, I usually teach this to mean that we are to keep the Sabbath day holy and honoring God's name by making these things our top priority. To remember the Sabbath day is to go to the divine service, to hear God's word, to receive his gifts. This should be our top priority on Sunday mornings. When we have other things that we can do or want to do on a Sunday morning, our choice should always be to go and hear God's word. People loved by God. When we make our God and his word our top priority, when we learn from his word that he has already set his eyes upon us, 
That has an effect, then, on how we live our lives in the world today. We don't have to be afraid of living lives of holiness, lives that are different from those who are around us. When suffering comes, God is a refuge for us. When we see others who are in need, we know that the God who has so richly provided for us that we can reach out and we can help them as well. Dear saints, God has prepared such great blessings of life and salvation for us in his holy Christian church. He's brought you in by the waters of baptism. We are not only joined to Christ in baptism, but we have been joined one to another as brothers and sisters through the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so let's do this holy work. Let's hear the word of God together. Let us bless one another. Let's pray for one another. The Lord's eye is upon us, and he has made us righteous by our baptism into him, by cleansing us of all of our sins, and his ears are open to our prayers. In this way, dear saints, God has already begun to usher in his kingdom into this world, which is broken in like a little beachhead here on 135. Here, God has begun to broke into the world through your lives and the lives that you touch around you. In Jesus' name. Amen. And now the peace of God, which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus, our Lord.